Hi, everyone. This is Banu. Thanks for joining our podcast and your interest in our podcast. Before you jump into this particular episode, I wanted to provide you an update on our guest, Niels. Since recording last time, Niels has left cross-country consulting and has joined Marvel Technology, a former client in the semiconductor industry. He's now running their IT PMO and consulting teams. We wish Niels all the best, and we hope you enjoy this podcast. Welcome to the Professional Services Pursuit, a podcast featuring expert advice and insights on the professional services industry. I'm Banu, and today I'm joined by Niels Hegsman. Niels is a Director of Business Transformation at Cross Country Consulting. They're the consultants for the consultants, and Niels is a leader in its business transformation advisory team with a strong focus on growing its brand, service offerings, and client portfolio, specifically on the U.S. West Coast. I'm really excited for our conversation today, and uh, it's a topic that we haven't tackled before in our podcast. What we're going to be doing is diving in and understanding Neil's perspective on how mergers and acquisitions impact technology adoption and the process of making new technology investments that is the best fit for the entire organization. So with that, thank you for making the time, Niels. I'm excited for our session so welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Manu. I'm actually super excited to be here. This is my uh, first podcast, so I'm a little bit nervous, but I'm sure we're going to have a good conversation. So thank you for hosting me. Of course. I'm looking forward to it. Before we get started, I think it's always good for the listeners to know a little bit more about you, your background, but also cross-country and, and your role at cross-country consulting. Of course. I'm extremely happy to uh, elaborate on that. Again, my name is Niels. I, I live in Oakland, California. With my wife, two young kids, uh, I have a three-year-old and a 15-month-old, so it's definitely a little bit crazy sometimes uh, being in consulting with young kids. And my wife is actually also a, uh, a director at PricewaterhouseCoopers, definitely kind of know what it is to work in consulting uh, and combine it with family life. I joined Cross Country back in 2022. Before uh, joining, I uh, worked at PwC for over 15 years, initially in the Netherlands, in our Amsterdam office, and from the listeners can probably hear that I'm not originally from the US. I am actually Dutch, born and raised in the Netherlands, worked in uh, what they called CIO advisory, but basically my main buyers were chief technology officers, chief information officers, and types of projects that I did back in the Netherlands were basically helping them to position and structure the IT function within their respective organizations. So a lot of IT assessments, IT strategy work, vendor management, outsourcing of IT, system strategy, system selection, architecture work. And then the other pillar is what I consider digital transformation. Uh, so driving major cross-functional, multi-system transformational efforts. Extremely interesting to do so. Um, still love to do those kinds of projects. In 2016, both my wife and I got the opportunity to move to the U.S. West Coast through PwC. And I actually got the opportunity to join PwC's M&A advisory team, hence also the link to, with merchant acquisitions as uh, per Banu's introduction. Uh, did a lot of M&A IT integration and also carve-out work, the visitor separation. Very similar to the digital transformation work that I did back in the Netherlands, but at a higher pace, uh, higher impact, higher visibility, higher risk, which kind of makes these projects extremely interesting to work on. 
Again, joined Cross Country last year, basically because I've got an incredible opportunity to build and manage its business transformation team here on the West Coast, which has been an incredible opportunity, but also, to be perfectly honest, get a little bit of a better work-life balance, especially with the kids. Cross Country, maybe a little bit of a quick introduction there, founded in 2011, very much rooted in the Big Four, the founders were former Big Four, and I think... All of the partners and 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 probably most of the consultants working there, or at least 80-90% of those have a big four background. Three pillars, accounting advisory. So we're not a CPA firm, but we're helping a lot of either accountants out whenever they are busy or provide advice from the accounting background. Risk and compliance and then business transformation, which is what I'm able to speak to. What differentiates cross country from a lot of our competitors is our, I would say, unique culture, right? Rooted in our core values, collaboration, energy, impact, and excellence. And the way that you can best describe that is we really do a good effort not to hire any egos or people that uh, are very self-centric, right? We really want to come across as nice people to work with, but also people, obviously, that have that big four background. So know what it is to kind of deliver quality and, and on time, on budget, etc. I mean, you said right, said it like right, right, Banu, like uh, the advisor to the advisors. I, I really appreciate that. And that's actually because over the last couple of years, I got the opportunity to work with another of, couple of other professional services organizations as well to kind of help them with their challenges, right? Because uh, what you typically see in that industry is that even though they are, like many companies are advising their clients in how to do their work in a better way. Typically, uh, they may not have spent a good amount of time uh, rationalizing and optimizing their systems, their processes, their data, and obviously introducing the concept of professional services automation, uh, being very much aware that this is a Cantata-sponsored podcast, but it brings a lot of potential, but I think a lot of companies still haven't uh, kind of gone through that step yet, so hopefully. Yeah, yeah. I've got to say, I've got to vouch for a great team to work with because I know that we've worked together, but I've worked with the cross-country team across multiple prospects that have used you guys as consultants. So we've come together as as a group and vouch for that part. But I have to comment on the fact that it's such a great world where we can balance uh, work life, right? Where, you know, you and I have been on meetings where you've had to take care of, I think your daughter, the baby, you know, we've been on the calls and it's a very different world to when I had my children, but it's great that we've moved from that perspective and you can be holding your baby and be in a meeting and it'll be perfectly okay. So, so let's dive in to the discussion what trends are you seeing in the industry around mergers and acquisitions? And what are some of the headwinds faced uh, specifically for service organizations and considerations to mitigate those headwinds? Yeah, that's a great question, Badu. I think a lot of the trends that you're seeing now in M&A are not new. They've been around for uh, maybe a decade or two or even longer. But obviously, with the uh, incredible wave of M&A that we saw up to a year ago, many of those trends became a lot more apparent. And I think it's always good to go back to kind of what the rationale for deals is, right? And what that means from kind of an integration strategy perspective. And I see two different scenarios, which are on the one end, it's the what I call the tech and talent deals, where you basically 
want to either acquire a team of talented people or a specific technology and important there to make sure that you actually assess up front, right? Do your diligence and, and make sure that you actually get what you're actually buying, right? So make sure you understand what you're buying. And, and, and the other end of the spectrum is the, what I call transformational deals. There's a spectrum within this, right? You have the absorption deals where you say, hey, I'm buying this company and I want to get the people in that organization to adopt my processes, my systems, versus the true transformational deals where you basically look at both companies and try to figure out how can I best combine the capabilities of those two organizations or do I actually like use this as a trigger to potentially like deviate away from any existing systems and processes, right? And adopt something completely new, basically taking a greenfield approach, whether it's for part of the organization or the broader organization. And as you can imagine, right, this is very complex, but also offers a incredible reward when you can pull this off because it really allows you to reap all the benefits that the acquisition might offer you. Obviously, there are many challenges. Then I think more transformative the deal becomes, the more obvious these challenges become. The first challenge that I want to call out is cultural integration. And again, especially in the service uh, services company, right, the biggest assets for many of these companies are their people, right? It's often a people-driven services model. So making sure that you buy a team that actually fits or buy a company that fits your culture is very important and often uh, doesn't get the attention that it needs to get, right? And that's, in my opinion, also the reason why many of these deals in the end do not lead to the synergies that were anticipated in the first place. Often what you'll see is that maybe some kind of cultural diligence gets done. It stays at a very high level, but in the end, you really need to kind of understand what makes a company unique and have a very thorough approach in place to address that up to an individual level almost to make sure that people don't run away once the deal has been completed. And I know like there are retention mechanisms that you can put in place, but those are typically just, I would say, temporary stopgap. So that's number one. Number two, very close to my heart, operating model integration, which is all about processes, systems, and data. Very important to have a thorough understanding on how both the buying company as well as the acquired company work, why processes are the way they are in both companies, and and how systems have been configured to support that part of the business, whether there are any existing pain points in those systems, whether those systems are able to talk together, right? Like often you see a lot of siloed systems within organizations and Having that understanding, coming up with a thorough roadmap to understand how you want to integrate both of these companies, again, very much driven by that integration strategy, right? Are you going to absorb? Are you going to transform? Are you going to introduce new technologies? All with their up and downsides. Timing-wise, the earlier you start with assessing this, the better. Uh, this is often the long tail in the integration. So the earlier you can start with this, the earlier you can kind of wrap it up. Uh, Next one, very important for services companies, is client retention. First of all, obviously, in front of the deal, make sure that you have an understanding in what's what's the client base of the acquired services company. Is there a lot of overlap? Is there not a lot of overlap? Sometimes you actually do a deal just to expand your client base, but sometimes you want to build upon your existing client base, right? So in those situations, you'd rather have a lot of overlap between your your different client bases. And then identifying any concerns that your client might have with this transaction, right? So really early on in the process, start engaging with your clients, start finding out if they have any objections, any concerns, and address those as, as best as possible. And then the last one to call out is uh, what I call IP and data protection, right? 
I think one trend that you see nowadays in the services industry is that next to kind of the traditional people-based services, often those nowadays get combined with either proprietary technology or with proprietary configurations in off-the-shelf programs, right? Because it's typically being used as a differentiator nowadays for many consulting companies, right? To offer a differentiated experience for their clients, become more efficient, effective, etc., so making sure that you kind of understand what kind of technologies are being used. And if the deal for some reason collapses, uh, like your competitor uh, doesn't run away with your uh, with your IP, right? And then the other thing is obviously data protection, right? Making sure that you are aware of security measures, uh, similar for privacy, right? Making sure that you understand any risks that there might be from a, from a privacy perspective as more and more countries and states that are adopting privacy regulations nowadays. Great. I, I love the four criteria there dead on in terms of my experience recently with the Cantata integration, uh, Niels, as you know, we, we went through our own integration process lately. You know, all those four aspects were prioritized. But most importantly, I love the fact that you've put culture as number one. And I'm assuming that was intentional, was it? It, it was, for sure. Yeah. Because, I mean, people are, especially in a professional services organization, right? People are the asset. So being very transparent, clear communications, intentional about steps and integration seems to be very critical to that process. That being said, for multiple acquisitions comes obviously, as you said, point number two, right, is a focus on technology and process. And you did say, you know, start that as early as possible. But we know that one of the bigger challenges is that disparate technology and processes that comes from acquisition. Uh, what are the considerations post-acquisitions, rationalizing the technology and standardizing the processes? And what are some of the hurdles and best ways to overcome them? Now, that's a very interesting question, Banu. I've worked with many companies that uh, I would consider serial acquirers, which is something you see a lot in the technology industry. Basically, companies buying at least a company every year or multiple companies per year even. And as you can imagine, right, the bigger SaaS and semiconductor companies, this is a very common scenario. And uh, what, you, what you see there, right, is that there's often a very big focus on what I call revenue synergies, right, with these companies because they buy another company because they see opportunities to cross-sell, to upsell. So uh, the priority when doing, an, when doing an acquisition is always on how do we enable both sales teams to effectively go to market and not disrupt them with, with any internal considerations that would be focused on integrating backend processes and systems, which on the short run really works. But as you can imagine, right, it on the long run leads to a lot of different issues because uh, over time you start to accumulate multiple different processes for doing basically the same thing different system, different data repositories, so it's different as a source of truth. As you can imagine, right, especially if you want a skill that'll get you into, into trouble sooner rather than later. So making sure, to your point, that you have a strong perspective on kind of what the company looks like that you bought from a process and a system and a data perspective and getting to a perspective on how you effectively want to combine that with your own organization is, is, is critical here. 
Yeah, it, it's interesting, right? It's a bit of a chicken egg thing with the four criteria that you said. Obviously, you want to focus on your culture, your people. You want to also focus on customer retention. But sometimes it's that you may not be able to succeed in, in both of those without really a, a focused uh, attention to your process and technology integration right and 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 maybe to add add to that like badu the challenge is right you can't approach this from an isolated perspective right you ha- really have to look at the end-to-end value chain both of your own company as well as the companies you have acquired so that means that you have to bring people together from all sides of the different organizations right both representing business and it so it, it's typically uh, a pretty massive effort to plan this out so you really have to pull people out of their regular roles and get them focused on this integration effort. I've seen I've seen many situations where we successfully did this, right? And that actually leads to some amazing results, not only by combining kind of the knowledge and the experience from all of these different people, but also actually it really helped to change management effort because a lot of like people actually don't know what their up and down street departments are doing, right? So even taking the acquired company out of the equation, it brings people together. And it also, from an acquired company's perspective, right, helps to create a shared understanding on why do different organizations work in the way they currently work. Uh, Bringing those perspectives together, forcing those people to work together is is actually like a really great thing when you're trying to achieve a successful M&A effort. That's a great point because I think we can't assume that the acquiring company has the target process, right? Because I would imagine that you, you probably run into this all the time, right? Where the company that's acquired may have been more nimble and may have come up with processes and best practices that also need to be considered as you look at that target. So so coming together as a team to figure out what that target state looks like seems to be the optimal way, first of all, to get buy-in, as you said, from a change management perspective, but also to make sure you end up with the best practices, right, across the organization. Correct. And, and as you can imagine, right, this becomes more important if you pursue a more transformational deal. Obviously, there are a couple of things that you can do as a company to make sure you're ready to kind of deal with this challenge, right? One of those things is, especially if you do multiple acquisitions, think about building out your own M&A integration capabilities. So building out an internal team of specialists that basically get responsibility for all of your M&A, but also making sure that you identify kind of the right experts within the right functions to participate in in such efforts. Number two is making sure that you document your operating model. This is honestly something I run into all the time because a lot of companies just didn't go through the effort to put their organizational structure on paper, map out business processes, document their enterprise architecture, their data definitions, their data dictionary, etc., which is extremely critical to build that baseline that you can use to contrast and compare with the acquired companies' operating models. In many, many cases, when this documentation is not available, it just takes a lot of effort to get that documented on the fly, which is, which is just not ideal. And, and you just lose a lot of time because of that. And the third one is uh, what I call portfolio management. So making sure that you have a mechanism in place in the organization to address competing priorities between the different M&A efforts that may be going on, but also other changes that may come on the radar, both driven by internal forces as well as external forces, right? Like re- maybe maybe, maybe a nice plug to kind of the, the recent developments in the, in the banking sector, right? I recently was involved with a deal where 
uh, that was very much impacted by the, in this case, the fall of SVB. Uh, a lot of attention was kind of pulled away from from the actual transformation effort that was going on, and and kind of being able to kind of keep track of all of that and come up with mitigation plans quickly is it, it, critical. And and a, and a strong portfolio management function can really help there. And interestingly enough, right, tools like Cantata and other PSA platforms can be super helpful here because. They basically allow you to quickly identify who's available, who has what skills, etc. So just a, a nice plug there for uh, for your organization, Manu. Yeah, I appreciate the shout out there. It's it's I do appreciate that. Okay, so you go through as part of the integration process, you sort of identify the target processes and the existing technology, and uh, you identify that there are gaps. If you do identify that there are technology gaps in making sure that your future state, your effective, efficient, you did speak to patching things up, multiple integrations to make things work versus making sure you're clear on your target state. And if that target state requires that you look at new technology, how does that look? What is that timing to make sure that you're not taking on too much, right, as part of your integration process? What's your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, could the quick answer here from a timing perspective, Benu, is again, as soon as possible. But to your point, right, there's obviously a lot that needs to be taken care of. And if you look at a typical deal timeline, right, there is the announcement, like when a deal gets announced to the market, but that's not typically not the same time when the deal actually legally closes, right? So, a couple of months later, maybe a year later, depending on what type of company you look at, they formally close the deal. And then it's, then there is a period that we would consider post-close. Like ideally, what I'd say is do your planning efforts pre-close, but do most of your transformations post-close. And the reason for that is that it just takes too long. You don't want to have your close dates like being bogged down by the fact that you want to integrate certain systems. So... Obviously, you want to make sure that when you close the deal that you've taken care of some of the work. You want to probably make sure that you have financial consolidated, like you have consolidated your financials, maybe move to a single ERP system. You want to make sure that there is a single repository for your employees. So move to a single uh, HRM system. But a lot of the other systems, right, they can technically be dealt with at a later point in time. And obviously, there's all the infrastructure stuff, right? Like making sure that the right people have access to the right systems. So there's definitely still a lot of work that needs to happen. But what I'm typically talking about is kind of that more of that long-term perspective, right? That really drives the transformation for the organization. The earlier you can kind of start planning that out and have a perspective on the work that needs to happen, typically the better. Because as you can imagine, right, and it ties back to my answer to your last question, right? Like, the longer you wait, the bigger the chance is that your experts might have run away or focusing on something else. People might have been pulled away for other priorities. Again, like black swans might happen, right? It might disrupt your projects. So again, like the earlier you can get people to focus on this, uh, typically the better. In a um, recent LinkedIn live session on that point of technology, if you have to go out there and, and really uh, look at new technology because you have gaps that your current technology stack does not fulfill post-merger, we did a live session with our CPO and, and we've resurfaced that in a podcast episode 39 for those listeners that are interested in listening to that. And we discussed, you know, what are the decision factors that go into selecting that technology? And, you know, ROI doesn't 
cut it and going back to some of the points we talked about before in terms of employee engagement and impacts on employee retention, as well as customer retention are some of the other factors and many others that need to be considered. I wanted to get your perspective on that as the companies that have gone through this merger and identified they need to go out and look at technology. What are some of the factors that you see being looked at in that decision? Yeah, first of all, but do I, I completely agree with this. It's, it's all about ROI. Obviously, ROI is still important, right? But there are definitely a lot of other factors to consider. You mentioned employee adoption, improving retention, but also focusing on the broader organizational impact here. And I mean, from an approach perspective, I, I would recommend the following, right? First, start by kind of framing up the situation, right? Determining where are you today? Basically, like a lot of things you already talked about, right? Assessing your current states, uh, determining any pain points that may exist in your processes, systems, and data. Consider your employee satisfaction with those tools and technologies, right? Because that often drives the, uh, that's often an incentive to potentially pursue something new, right? That's why it might improve your organization overall. And typically you do that by conducting surveys and interviews. Obviously, if documentation is available, that's great. But as we talked about, many organizations just don't have that, unfortunately. And then use that to identify your areas of improvement or come up with a roadmap, prioritize it, etc. Also, focus on the impact of doing nothing, right? What are the consequences if you do nothing? There might be a potential loss of productivity, competitive advantage, market share, and then analyze the long-term impacts. For example, like how do we do it? What does it mean to retain outdated technology or increased employee turnover, reduced innovation, stagnating growth, et cetera, right? So really kind of try to use that to build that compelling case for that new technology. And then focus on the benefits of that new technology, right? What advantages does it have? Uh, does it increase efficiency, reduce costs, improve communication, enhance collaboration? In the end, it's all about kind of building building out that business case that you want to get to. Does it help with your employee retention, for example, or, I don't know, reduce frustration with the people, etc.? Um, then obviously there's a market opportunity, right, that you need to, to determine. I would say particularly consider like vertical SaaS solutions, right? And I think there was also something that was discussed in the podcast that you mentioned earlier, right? These solutions that can help us in a specific industry to enable end-to-end processes, maybe not entirely, but at least like a large chunk of it, which basically prevents you from having to do a lot of customization and patchwork to make it work for your particular needs. And then tying into that cultural integration point that I I mentioned earlier, right? Make sure that it all fits into your organizational and culture? How can it support your long-term vision and objectives? Uh, how can it drive innovation, et cetera, et cetera? And then I think next steps are always like, make sure you focus on change management and then piloting an iteration, right? Maybe consider like piloting a new technology with a specific part of your organization, see if it resonates, and then based on that, make a broader decision to roll it out. But those are just some of the things that I would consider there, Badu. Niels, I've got to admit that I love my job at Cantata and the advisory role I have. But every time I talk to you and your role and what you do in terms of mergers and acquisitions, it's just all so exciting. And you've got a world of knowledge. And I just appreciate you being on the podcast and the conversation we've had just as a side note, but (laughs) I wanted to get to my finale question. And as we've discussed, I I love to ask about 
a book that you've read or a recommendation that you may have for a reading for our listeners? Oh, that's always a good question, Manu. <laughs> well, like throughout my career, I have read many books that influenced me in some shape or form. If there's one to call out, and it's kind of an oldie but goldie, it's uh, The Trusted Advisor by David Meister. Are you familiar with that book, Manu? I actually am not, no. It, I, I still consider it, no, maybe not the Bible, but it, it's definitely, I would say, an essential work for anybody working in professional services. And uh, it basically taught me like early on in my career that consulting is is not only about delivering technical expertise or solving problems for your clients, right? It's if you want to be successful as a consultant, in my opinion, right, and David Spin as well, it's it's all about building those strong and deep relationship and earning the trust from your clients, right? So it's it's having that long term perspective and not only focusing on kind of the short term transactional aspects that often uh, uh, get emphasized within uh, within professional services. It talks about concepts like listening carefully, right? Like it's not about me, it's about you as the client. So I'd better spend the majority of my time listening to you and, and understanding kind of what drives you, what motivates you. Uh, it, it's about being responsive and, and, and proactive. That really makes you stand out as an advisor, right? If you do what you say you'll do, and even uh, I would say surpass expectations, right? Under-promising, over-delivering, right? Uh, that that really helps you to build a trust with clients. And then it's it's all about continuing to add value to the relationships, right? Thinking beyond, what's the question beyond the question? Like the client might have a certain issue that he wants you to help him out with or her out with at this point in time. But in what context is this question being asked, right? What else is going on? And, and not only being there for clients in good times when there might actually be, be budgets to pay you for your consulting services, but also in times when that budget might not be there or the company might go to distress, right? Still reaching out to the client or to your friend then, right? It's, I consider a lot of my clients my actual friends, right? And, 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 and being there to provide them with advice, even though it might not necessarily pay your bill. It will in the end pay itself back in the long run. And, and that book has just been instrumental for me to, I would say, become a better advisor. Well, it seems like a book that I should have read by now, considering the years of my working. So definitely on my list now, and I will be reading it. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you for being on and spending the time. I know you're very busy. As always, we'd love to hear from you listeners. If you have any follow-up questions for myself or Niels, please reach out at podcast at cantata.com. Thanks, Niels, and have a great weekend. Thank you, Manu. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know by giving the show a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform and leaving a comment. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, you can do so anywhere you get podcasts, on any podcast app. And to learn more about the power of Cantata's purpose-built technology, go to cantata.com. Thanks again for listening.